Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 75, and I'm drinking Beefeater Gin. With each episode of Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, you should expect that I'll be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. I chose to feature Beefeater for this episode because obviously it's a classic and I'm working my way through classic spirits and brands. The bottle I have for the tasting is Beefeater Gin. It is 750 milliliters. For me here in the U.S., it is bottled at 44% alcohol by volume, making it 88 proof, and it retails at $20. Just recently, the brand updated the packaging, including a new label on the bottle and uh, what I believe to be a new bottle mold with indented sides and the words Beefeater molded into the glass. It makes it very easy to handle. It is a square bottle with a short neck. As part of the redesign of the bottle, they switched to a metal cap eliminating some plastic that they had used. I'm thankful for that because it saves me from struggling with shrink wrap that I do on many episodes. It's also saved a ton. Well, literal tons, being metric or imperial, but tons nonetheless of plastic. The front label on the bottle reads Beefeater across the top in the classic font for the brand, and then the word London is underneath. Then the man in red, the Beefeater himself, is at the center. Distilled in the heart of London, established 1820, and a signature of James Burrow complete the primary label. A smaller red label reading the world's most awarded gin in London Dry Gin with proof and volume information completes the front. A smallish white back label gives a very brief amount of information on what beef eater is and then there's necessary government warnings so now let's go ahead and open this bottle up here we go i like screw caps they're easy and for the tasting i am using of course a clean glencairn glass it's a whiskey nosing glass tulip shaped allows you to get a good look at the spirit nosing of the spirit and taste it So here we go. And I use the Glencairn so I can taste the spirit neat that is right out of the bottle at room temperature, no dilution, no ice, just as it's made. In the glass, it is entirely clear. You can see some of the legs on the inside of the glass. That's just as I've noted before, the difference in evaporation of ethanol from water you get these tears on the inside of the glass from alcohol. That just tells you that there's alcohol present. Doesn't necessarily tell you how potent the alcohol is. Now let's try it on the nose. Smells of gin. It's clean. That's a flavor profile I get of gin when I smell it is a cleanness. There's juniper, some citrus. Let's try it again. Yeah, it's lovely, actually. It smells quite good. So let's not belabor it. Let's go in for a taste. Kind of swish it around, get a good flavor. 
There's a few different techniques you can use when tasting a spirit. When I'm tasting spirits neat, I like to envision that I've got a, a ball of this spirit that I kind of roll around on the center of my tongue. Let it wash back and forth on either side of my tongue. You've got different taste buds and different places on your mouth that let you pick up different flavors. So I kind of swish it around, hold it in your mouth a little bit, feel how it is, inhale a bit through your nose, swallow, and then open your mouth and inhale some air and get a different sense of it. Let's do it again. It's citrus forward. You get the juniper in there. Slight bitter flavor of the licorice and angelica root and a little bit of the coriander. All the botanicals in beef eater are common foundational botanicals in gin. And so it tastes as you would expect. A lot of gin will taste like this. It is quite good. I'm going to go for another taste. A little surprising for me at 44% ABV or 88 proof. There's not really a lot of burn to the spirit. It's quite pleasant. Just neat right out of the bottle, undiluted. Tastes of nice, clear, clean gin. I could honestly enjoy it neat. Now let's talk history. First off, let's deal with the name, Beef Eater. Spirit names are oftentimes odd, but seriously, Beef Eater? Surprisingly, or perhaps not, Beef Eater is a vegan product, meaning it features no animal products in it. So what's with the name? Beef Eater is British, and it refers to the Yeomen of the Guard, bodyguards of the British monarchy. It was selected by the founder as a way to really cement the brand in its Londonness, its Britishness. It seems the Royal Guard became known as Beef Eaters because at one point they were apparently paid partially in beef. And the job of yeoman was something that could be owned by the man that held the position. The job of yeoman could therefore be bought and sold to the highest bidder. But this changed in 1826 when the Duke of Wellington declared that beef eaters should all be distinguished military personnel. I suppose if you were entrusting them to guard your life you may not want to be protected by the highest bidder. So the ownership of the position ended. Beef eaters still mostly live at the Tower of London full-time, though most of the modern ones also have residences off-site. And while they were historically guarding the crown jewels and protecting the royal family, they're nowadays mostly employed for meeting and greeting tourists. As of 2015, all the beef eaters still were receiving a bottle of beef eater gin on their birthdays, partially for the ongoing use of their image. Also, the depiction of their uniform on the gin bottle is the Victorian state dress uniforms of the beef eaters that they will still wear at times today. So yes, beef eater is named after the British Royal Guard. And as I mentioned before, it was co-opted for the gin way back at the beginning of the brand. So let's start with the start, shall we? Beef eater is a London dry gin. This describes the style of gin and not necessarily the location of manufacture. Go back and give a listen to my first episode on gin, number 44, featuring Bombay Sapphire, for details on gin as a category of spirit, including some of the basic backstory of gin, how it's made, and more. But Beef Eater is a London dry gin, and it's actually made in London. Always has been. London dry refers to the style, as I mentioned, 
And dry in the drinks business means the lack of sugar. So a London dry gin is not sweet. It's a differentiation from older style gins, in particular the old Tom gin that was sweetened. London Dry is now a recognized production method describing the style. Anyway, Beefeater happens to be made in London in the London Dry style. And though the bottle states established 1820, here again we have a brand stretching the truth a little bit, I think. And not really for any good reason. 1820 is when the Chelsea Distillery was founded by the Taylor family. But Beefeater didn't come around for nearly half a century. So let's jump ahead 42 years and just slightly to the right on the label from 1820 to the signature of James Burrow. 1862 is the year that James Burrow purchased the existing Chelsea distillery from the Taylor family. James was a chemist by trade, so buying a distillery must have made sense for him. The distillery was producing liqueurs, fruit gins, and punches. Punches being what we'd today refer to as a ready-to-drink cocktail or a liqueur like Pim's No. 1 or Southern Comfort, episodes 23 and 31 respectively. James Burrow came up with 400 British pounds in 1862, which the Bank of England's inflation calculator pegs at about 50,000 pounds in 2020 dollars, or pounds rather, to buy the distillery. I never really trust inflation calculators because that seems really too low. I've read accounts that describe 400 pounds in the mid-1800s as a princely sum. Go try and buy a 40-year-old distillery today for 50 grand and see how far you get. 400 pounds was a lot of money, I guess is the point. Upon taking over the distillery, James kept it as it was for a few years, producing a variety of liqueurs and flavored gins and the aforementioned punches. The distillery sold their products under a number of brands, too, with names as varied as Ye Old Chelsea and James Burrow London Dry, as well as some Old Tom styles. James experimented with different botanicals for gins, and by 1876 had hit upon his winner that would become known as Beefeater Gin. Beefeater, by all accounts, was an instant success. A total of nine botanicals are included, and these were recorded in a recipe book that dates to 1895. James Burrow proved to be a good businessman as well as a good gin maker, and he had trained his sons to be his heirs in the business as they took over operations when James passed away in 1897. In 1908, production was moved to a new distillery at Lambeth, South London, including new distillery equipment to increase capacity. The Burroughs Boys and Beefeater kept doing well, and in 1958, they moved the distillery again, this time to Kennington, taking over a site previously occupied by the Hayward Military Pickle Factory. Military pickles, huh? This is the current home of Beefeater in London. During the 1950s and into the 60s, Beefeater was established as a premium gin brand with a clever slogan I absolutely love. It was, a little more to pay, a little more to enjoy. It's another way of telling the consumer they're worth it. Spend the extra money for a better product. Straightforward and to the point, it's really sales focused. And by the 1960s, Beefeater claims to have been responsible for three out of four bottles of gin imported to the U.S., and they were also the only brand of gin featured on the maiden voyage of the QE2, for what it's worth. Alan Burrow, grandson of the founder of Beefeater, James Burrow, led the company as they capitalized on the trends of American consumers with three martini lunches, 
Martinis being made, of course, with gin in the 60s. However, vodka was already on the scene, and in the coming decades, preferences shifted, and the vodka martini nearly supplanted the original gin. And drinking culture declined in the late 70s and 80s. Decline may be too harsh of a term for it, but it definitely changed. Gin fell out of favor. These changing preferences may have led to the Burroughs family deciding to sell in 1987 to the brewing giant Whitbread. Beefeater then came under the ownership of Allied Domic, a conglomerate of spirits brands. And in 2005, the French firm Pernod Ricard acquired Allied Domic for 7.4 billion British pounds, picking up Beefeater in the process. As I've said on other episodes, I think Pernod Ricard is a good steward of brands they acquire. They don't seem to mess too much with what makes the brand valuable in the first place, yet they invest in things that do help. Sustainability is a focus, which I fully support. Pernod Ricard also poured a bunch of money into Beefeater in 2014 to open a visitor center at the distillery, the first for a gin brand in London, but not the last. It's also worth mentioning that in 1995, Beefeater got a new master distiller, a man named Desmond Payne, whose credentials included 24 years spent working at Plymouth Gin, episode 51 for the story of Plymouth Gin. With the current gin renaissance, Beefeater has been what I'd consider a standard bearer for London dry gin, but they've also produced some additional versions of Beefeater in a brand extension exercise. All their flavors and other expressions have been popular, it seems. And sales have trended upward under Pernod Ricard's ownership, peaking at 3.4 million 9-liter equivalent cases in 2019, before shedding three-quarters of a million cases in volume to settle at 2.7 million in 2020. This is likely a result of the global COVID-19 pandemic and the resultant decline in on-premise sales. Interestingly, Beefeater is bottled at 44% ABV or 88 proof for me here in the U.S. market. For the U.K. and most of the rest of the world, it's bottled at 40% ABV or 80 proof. And I can't really determine why this is. But no matter, on to how it's made. All gin starts as a neutral spirit that's then flavored either through maceration, infusion, or a combination thereof. Heat can be applied or not, but with Beefeater, they start with a 100% grain neutral spirit, which is produced off-site. And then they use nine botanicals that are not a secret, though the specifics of proportions and methods probably are a trade secret. The botanicals are juniper, of course, a requirement, then angelica root, angelica seeds, coriander seeds, licorice, almonds, orris root, which is iris, Seville oranges, and lemon peel. And the Seville oranges, it's actually their peels, not the, the flesh of the fruit. These are all the classic flavors of gin. Beefeater really excels at consistency and being such a large company with a global parent, they really do a good job of sourcing. Juniper is still harvested from the wild. It's not a cultivated product per se. So juniper berries are sourced from various places throughout the world. And then all the other ingredients, the botanicals, they're sourcing. And it's the master blender who really has the final say in the flavor profile and making sure that they're consistent batch over batch. The botanicals are all weighed out for distillation. They're steeped in the neutral spirit for 24 hours in the still. Then the stills are fired up and redistilled. The resultant spirit is cut with pure water to bring it to bottling strength. 
And that's how it's made. It's gin. So on to cocktails and consumption. Beefeater is a staple of most bars, and if you're looking for a solid mixing gin, Beefeater is it. As I mentioned briefly before, we're in the midst of a gin renaissance, and there seems to be a new gin brand founded almost daily. And with the explosion of variety, many gin producers frankly are getting a bit out there with their use of botanicals. I'm all for flavors, but gin is gin, and Beefeater should be considered the standard bearer for a London Dry. Beefeater goes great in a gin and tonic. You probably want about three tonic to one part gin, kind of a three to one ratio. Don't over garnish, just use a slice of lemon or orange, either the peel or the fruit as well. Beefeater drinks well in a properly made martini and other classic cocktails calling for gin. So in summary, what do I think of Beefeater? It's going to be a staple of my liquor cabinet. There's no reason I should ever run out. I will just continue to buy bottles of Beefeater. It's solid. You're never going to disappoint somebody pouring them Beefeater. It's got good flavor. It's got a good story. Actually, a London dry gin made in London. And, you know, the next time I get to the UK, hopefully if travel resumes and gets a little back to normal sometime in the future, I'd love to tour the distillery. So that's going to do it for this episode of Liquor in the Coor Connoisseur. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. I want to thank all my listeners for supporting me as I've gotten to 75 episodes on this little podcast of mine. Something I created during the COVID-19 pandemic when it started. I launched in March of 2020, I believe it was, or April. I think I started planning and recording in March and I went live in April or thereabouts. Point is, I found a hobby to start drinking more, and that's really the, the reason for this show. But what's kept me going, producing episodes every week and gathering a vast collection of uh, distilled spirits and a growing collection of books on the business as well, has been the support of listeners like you. So, my thanks. Do please tell your friends, subscribers, and those that share. That keeps me going. Show notes, as always, are on liquorinthecoorconnoisseur.com. You can find my show on your favorite podcast platform. I'm also on social media. Follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm leaning into. Facebook has a second, and Twitter I maintain. If you have a spirit you'd like me to feature in an upcoming episode, please do reach out. I love hearing from my listeners, so leave me your feedback. And as always, thank you for listening.